Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Wise Athletes Podcast, where we invite you to join our journey to understand how older athletes can achieve high performance and longevity in athletics. I'm Joe Lavelle with Dr. Glenn Winkle, and this is episode 10 of our podcast. If you are like me, you know a disconcerting and growing number of older athletes who have AFib. Perhaps you already have it, like our own Dr. Glenn Winkle. In any case, if you've been paying attention, you have legitimate questions about the possibility of too much exercise or too much high-intensity exercise injuring your health. After all, the last thing any of us want is to cause our own heart health problems through our efforts to remain strong and active. Today, we hear from Dr. Glenn Winkle in part one of a two-part podcast about his personal journey with AFib. When Glenn discovered he had AFib in 2004, he went deep into the science to uncover solutions that have worked for him to retain his ability to be an endurance athlete well into his sixth decade, and he's not done yet. Listen in as Glenn describes his experience, starting with confusion and disbelief. At first, he ignored the strange feeling he had in his body and the impact it had on his athletic performance. Glenn expected and later merely hoped the symptoms would go away, but as the symptoms became worse, Glenn eventually accepted that he needed help. Glenn describes his symptoms and the medical treatments he eventually received. Some were helpful and some were not. Glenn describes the techniques he developed for himself and the supplements he found to manage and reduce the symptoms of AFib. As a master's athlete myself, I can tell you I was riveted as I listened to Glenn's story. The potential for AFib to cause strokes is a scary outcome for anyone, but especially for the endurance athlete who works so hard to stay healthy and for whom being strong and active is such an important part of life. The information shared in parts one and part two of this podcast is interesting and important, but in case you are wondering, the episodes break down roughly as this. In part one, we cover what is atrial fibrillation and why is ignoring AFib a bad idea? what may have caused and worsened Glenn's AFib as an endurance athlete, and what were some of the potential triggers for Glenn's AFib episodes. In part two, we will cover supplements that have helped Glenn reduce the occurrence and severity of AFib episodes, additional triggers of AFib, Glenn's symptoms of AFib in exercise and during rest, what Glenn would have done differently if he could have a do-over, Glenn's medical treatments, some that helped and some that didn't. This information is not offered as medical advice as we are not medical practitioners. But as always, Glenn and I hope you find this information helpful in your quest to become a wise athlete. Well, Happy New Year, Glenn. Joe, and a Happy New Year to you as well. Thank you, sir. You know, normally I'm always enthusiastic about chatting with you uh, on wise athletes about things that are fun about being an athlete, you know, and the upside about being a better athlete, a stronger athlete. Today, we're going to open up a conversation about heart health, which you have personal experience with. Is that right? Absolutely, yes. And I think this is an incredibly important topic for everyone who's in our listening audience. This is going to sound like negative stuff, but it's important that we're all, as older athletes, aware of this particular issue. And, and anybody who's had their eyes and ears open knows that AFib is a thing and it's going around and everybody knows somebody who's got it or has been getting ablations to try to deal with it. And everybody's had an extra heartbeat or a skipped heartbeat. And who doesn't wonder, uh-oh, what's that? Am I next? You know, am I having a problem here? Am I exercising too much or doing too much high intensity? 
you know, should I be backing off? And we are not medical doctors here, and we're not going to be giving medical advice. But we, you in particular, you know so, a lot of information about this topic of AFib for endurance athletes, and we think that it's important to share that with our audience. Uh, Joe, absolutely it is. In fact, like I said, um, a lot of endurance athletes have been developing atrial fibrillation. And of course, that includes myself as well. And that developing it myself set me on a journey of discovery about AFib, what it is. And being a scientist, I went deep into the the science about AFib. And I hope we'll bring that uh, stuff out today. But it's true. Um, technically speaking, we're not medical professionals. We're not giving medical advice. If you start, you think you have symptoms of atrial fibrillation, uh, make sure you see a good EP cardiologist that works with athletes that understands AFib and athletes, because it's not the same as typical AFib. So AFib is is a fairly common condition, is that right? Uh, yes, it is. In fact, um, in the population of people, it's estimated that one in four had developed symptoms of AFib. So that's 25% of the population. So that's quite high. But the key thing, though, is that we're going to talk about AFib and athletes, which is significantly different from AFib in individuals. Because there's certain diseases that predispose you to developing AFib, but athletes are in a different category, and they develop AFib presumably by a different mechanism, and we'll talk about that mechanism, the potential origins, and what's really going on, and this will give you some insight into how to minimize or stem or reduce that if you have the symptoms. Because I believe it is manageable up to a certain point. I personally know a handful of people who have this issue and spoken to them about it. And it, for some people, they, they manage to get some treatment and they largely move past it and other people don't uh, or are not able to move past it very well. Uh, so it's a, it's a bit of a mixed outcome. But I'm glad that uh, you're going to be able to share your experience uh, with our audience here, Glenn. And, and there's other people that you know who we may be able to get on the podcast. Is that right? Absolutely. In fact, some of them have elective surgery, some haven't. Some have had some serious side effects of the AFib. I'd like to bring them on board as well. I want people to realize that there's many approaches you can take if you develop the symptoms of AFib. And you can choose a highly medical approach. You can choose a more natural approach. You can do absolutely nothing and bad things could happen. In fact, like I mentioned to you earlier, um, my mom actually had the AFib, which caused a stroke and eventually led to her demise. And she passed away this last July. So it's a serious issue. In fact, over 80,000 deaths annually are believed due to AFib. So it's not just a problem in athletes, but it's a different kind of a problem in athletes than is in the, the non-exercise, overweight, and out-of-shape individual. Got you. And so this isn't something that comes about as a result of some, like, uh, you were born with uh, type issue. It's something that arises from the use of your heart in your life. Is that, is that what's thought? It's a combination of things. Like I said, uh, there's, the science doesn't really know why AFib occurs. They really don't. And so the hypotheses that I put forward today, because of my background as a developmental biologist, as an anatomist, as a physiologist, as a cyclist, um, as a cardiovascular person, I understand this from a different perspective than most medical people would. And therefore, I have a theory about how it works, and I think I'm dead on. But that won't be verified because you can't really prove what happened in the past. All right. Well, so we've got a bit of an outline here that we want to go through. Uh, we'll start by talking about what is atrial fibrillation. We'll then talk about what the potential causes of it are related to endurance athletes. 
Then we'll talk about what are the potential triggers that might cause it. And then triggers, Glenn, let me just ask you for clarification. Are we talking about something that might trigger an episode or might trigger the condition? Actually, both. Okay. Because they're related. Yeah. Uh, We'll then talk about some of the symptoms and essentially uh, risks, what negative things can happen as a result of having it. We'll then get into some short and long-term actions that an athlete can engage in to try to reduce their risk. And then lastly, Glenn, you'll summarize some medical approaches that are uh, common in dealing with AFib. Is that right? Yes, exactly. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Well, that's a lot, so we might as well get started. All right. Well, I'm going to start off. I think it's important for our listening audience to understand some, I'm sure people out in our audience have never even heard the term atrial fibrillation. And so it's important we define what it is and what it isn't. And I'm going to basically do, um, I can go into more depth. I'm going to keep it very simple and easy to understand because we're on a podcast. I don't have, I can't show you any slides. I can't, you know, draw pretty pictures and things. So you have to use your mind and visualize. So basically, all of you know you have a heartbeat. I hope we'll start there. That's <laughs> a simple process. And you know, when you listen to your heart, it makes a particular sound. And the, the term we use to describe it is called lub-dub. So if it were beating heart, it'd be like a, a lub-dub, lub-dub, lub-dub. And so the lub is the atrial beat, and the dub is the ventricular beat. So your heart has four chambers. As mammals, we have a four-chambered heart. And on the top part of the heart are the two atria, left and right atria. On the bottom part of the heart are the left and right ventricles. When the heart beats, let's say we're going to start on the left side of the heart, is taking in blood from the periphery and is pulling it essentially into the, the left atrium where it collects and then the heart beats and it pumps the blood into the left ventricle, which then beats and pumps the blood out to the periphery. So basically that's, that's the circulation coming from the lungs. So it's oxygenated blood going to the left atrium where it goes, that's the lub beat followed by the dub. So it's a lub dub. One always precedes the other. Now the term fibrillation is the term fibrillation really means vibration. It vibrates. The heart's supposed to beat like a, like a lub, lub, but in fibrillation, it doesn't beat, it vibrates. So it obviously, it can't, if it can't beat, it's not going to pump the blood out of the atrium. And so the term we use as an athlete, we lose what's called the atrial kick. The blood from the atrium is not kicked into the ventricle, so you have less blood flow overall. So the first thing about atrial fibrillation is that you're not going to get good blood flow. That's the first thing. What it really comes down to is there's a, there's a problem in the conduction signal. The signal originates over the right atrium. So if you think about where you put your hand when you put your hand on your heart and you say the Pledge of Allegiance, like we used to many years ago when we were kids, and that's the right side of your heart. Upper right top part of the heart is where the actual signal comes from, the actual electrical start of the signal. It spreads across the left, the right atrium and the left atrium. That's the lub. And then it goes through a little, uh, between the, the atrial and the ventricle, there's a little bit of a node. There's a small pause. And then it fires the signal to the ventricles and you get the lub. So it's like a, I mean, the dub. It goes lub, pause, dub. That's why your heartbeat's always lub, dub. So if you, if you got that, that's the way it's supposed to be. But what happens, and we don't know why this is, I'll talk about it in some depth later, is that for some reason, on the left side of the heart, on the atria, or sometimes deep into the pulmonary veins, coming into the heart, there's some electrical activity. Now, understand the conduction channels always go from the right side of the heart to the left side of the heart. But if a signal pops up on the left side of the heart, it's gonna travel in the reverse direction down the same conduction channel. Imagine like a tunnel. 
that carries electrical signals. And when it does, it collides with the normal signal coming from the right side of the heart. And if you know that these signals, like waves, they neutralize and there's no signal. So the atria won't beat. So you have what's called erratic conduction patterns inside the heart in the atria, and you don't get a beating of the heart. So what's happening is that you're not getting a, a controlled signal coming from right to left. It's basically signals originating on the left side of the heart. Now, like I said, no one knows why those signals are there. No one knows why they come up. It tends to happen in later stages of life. It tends to happen in endurance athletes. And that's probably one of the clues about why it is. It's the million-dollar question, what causes it? Glenn, uh, just to make sure that I'm following you, I've always sort of understood that the heart beat is kind of a coordination of the heart cells as they contract in a particular order that creates the pumping motion, mm -hmm. uh, if you will. You know, sort of like throwing a baseball. You've got a set of muscles that you engage in a particular order in order to end up with the baseball going where you want it. But if the sequence was wrong, that you wouldn't get the, the beating of the, the heart or the pumping of the blood that you need, whether it's you have enough pumping of the blood while you're exercising, where you need a lot extra, a lot more than while you're resting, but possibly you don't even get enough for a, a resting level of activity. Well, normally with AFib, um, because the ventricles are still pumping blood, I mean, you're okay. For example, if you had ventricular fibrillation, then you die. Your heart's not pumping blood, enough blood to survive. The lack of the atrial kick, not having the atrial um, blood supply coming in, means you pump less blood. It might be a 20% difference. It's significant enough, you'll notice it. I mean, I noticed it. It was clear the something wasn't right. The number one reason why people go to, go to the hospital thinking they're having a heart attack is atrial fibrillation. It feels like a heart attack. It's not, but because it's just the atrium. However, if it progresses to ventricular fibrillation, that is a heart attack. That's when the heart stops. Okay, so this is mostly just an issue where you, you feel off, but it's an issue when you're trying to exercise hard and you just can't. Right. Yeah, it's, you're not getting blood flow. You're not getting enough blood flow to, to, to supply demand, essentially. And that's because it's actually, it's not a muscle problem, it's an electrical problem. So it sounds kind of funny. You don't need a plumber. You need an electrician to solve the problem. If that makes any sense. Sure. Okay. Well, the, elec the electricity is what's triggering the heart muscle cells to contract. And exactly. so you, there's a sequence of contraction that's required to pump effectively. Correct. So if the sequence is off because the electrical signal is off, right. you're not getting an effective contraction. Correct. And this is critical to understand. If you understand it's not a muscle problem, it's a conduction problem, then you'll deal with it differently than you would a muscle problem. People don't realize, I think, because my heart's not beating right, they think the muscle's not beating right, but it's actually it's the electrical signal that's off. And that's the key to understanding atrial fibrillation. So let's talk about the million-dollar question. And I think that once you understand the principle behind AFib, like I said, one of the key principles is the fact that it's a conduction issue. The second principle is this. If I was trained as a developmental biologist, in fact, mammalian developmental biology, so we studied early development. We use mouse as our model. But basically, so I understand a lot about things that were in the beginning. For example, we start off as one cell. And you know, obviously, you look at an individual, they have, what, tr several trillion types of cells. So my question in early development was, how do you get from one cell to several trillion cells that are all different from one another? Heart cells, brain cells, bone cells, skin cells, you know, nail cells, everything else. They're all different. We call that cellular differentiation. Well, when you think about the heart, 
the heart starts off, starts off as a mass of tissue. And then just spontaneously, and I really mean spontaneously, it starts to beat. And there's a certain region at the top part of the heart that's where the beat comes from. It starts in a certain bunch of cells that are just naturally electrically excitable. Now, as the heart grows, what happens is that that region becomes confined to the upper right part of the heart. That's the origin of the actual heartbeat itself. Now, here's the, here's the key. This is, I think, the, the basis behind atrial fibrillation, is that the left part of the heart, which is actually where the pulmonary veins come into the heart, are the same progenitor cells as those cells that spontaneously started beating in early development. So I hope we get, this is a, a concept that's fairly simple to understand. It's kind of like saying your relatives. The left atrium and the right atrium are relatives. Just so happens that the cells on top of the right atrium happen to where the signal started from, and they're, they're special relatives. They start the beat. But the cells on the other side of the heart are from the same family. And so what I believe happens as we age, for some reason that we don't know, those cells become spontaneously electrically excitable. That's all it is. If those cells start creating a signal, the signal just travels. It says, oh, there's a path going that way, and it goes in the opposite direction because that's where the path goes. It just follows the path backwards. It's like a, like a, path, like a bike path. You can go both ways on it. So if the left side of the heart starts to beat, starts to create a signal, it'll travel in the opposite direction, what's called retrograde versus anterior grade. And so it collides with the normal signal coming the other direction. So the key thing is to understand, we don't know why those cells become electrically excitable, but in elderly people, people that are, have cardiovascular issues, people that have diabetes or other situations, they will develop AFib, but also endurance athletes. And my hypothesis is that the exercise itself can create damage in the heart of those cells that they become spontaneously electrically excitable. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess it's still, it's an error. It's a mistake that they become electrically excitable. I'm not right? sure if error is the word. It's just, they, they shouldn't. Let's be honest. We don't, if they become electrically excitable, it causes AFib, it causes the problems of the heart, conduction issues. Let's just say that the developmental program is always there. It's just that as we get older, as the cells get older and they further differentiate, the body can turn those programs off. That, that was my thesis in, at, at, when I did my PhD, was learning how to turn those signals on and off. There are things in adulthood that can turn on these early signals. That's the reason why you can take like embryonic cells and make brain or embryonic cells and make bone, because you can turn off the signals and then direct the, the cells to different pathways. Obviously, for genetic engineering down the road, perhaps it's powerful to make new tissues. Oh, we, we can make a liver this way. We can make a new brain. So we can do things that you couldn't do years ago by understanding the signals. But in this case, for some reason, we don't quite know, those cells become electrically excited. It might be damage to the cell. It might just be something else. We don't know. But okay. the key thing is that they do become excitable. They're not supposed to be excitable. And the question is, how do we minimize the effects or how do we stop it altogether? I mean, one of the things that we all know about as uh, endurance athletes is that our hearts have gotten larger as a result of doing endurance exercise. And so who hasn't been to the doctor who then says, oh, what's wrong with you? Your heart rate is too low. There's even a, a medical name, brachycardia or something, that your heart rate is too low. And it's like, you know, hey, I ride a bike, you know, I run, I, you know, whatever. And they're like, oh, I guess that's possible. So this remodeling of the heart, I guess, is a, you know, it's a natural, normal thing, just like maybe the muscles in your quadriceps grow 
going to get bigger and adapt to the stress you put on them when you're riding your, your bicycle or running. But when you've been doing it a lot for a long time, something for some people goes wrong. Well, the term they use is called hypertrophy. Hyper means bigger and trophy means grow. It all means hypertrophy means your heart grows. And what happens, the actual wall of the left ventricle will thicken so it can pump hard. Like you think about this, you want to make a stronger bicep, you lift weights. If you work your heart harder, the heart gets, the muscle gets bigger, thicker. Ironically, a lot of cardiologists don't realize that hypertrophy for an athlete is important for the athlete to perform. Your heart has to grow, essentially. The thing is, though, is that there was a study done on Tour de France cyclists looking at the risk of AFib and trying to correlate it with hypertrophy of the heart because they all had a large hearts. And they, the, basis, the, the study came out with the idea that, yes, athletes have hypertrophy, bigger hearts, but that's not what causes the AFib. It's, they're unrelated. They thought perhaps the, the growing of the heart might stretch the things and cause damage. That wasn't it at all. So that's not a cause of AFib, but it certainly is. I mean, I've been told many years ago that I had an athlete's heart you know, an enlarged heart, but it's just because I work out a lot and I'm an athlete. That's the reason why. Okay. The athlete wants to know what is a trigger for AFib. Rather than just identify potential triggers, I want to talk about why or why it may, may or may not be a trigger because there's, there's, there's a lot going on inside this trigger area. So let's start off with this, this aspect. And Glenn, I don't know if it makes sense to, but it, logically, if we could separate what causes it in terms of a trigger versus what triggers an episode once you have it, that might be helpful. They're one and the same because they're, there's both, well, I guess you could call them long-term triggers and short-term triggers. For example, let me define a basis first to how to do this because it's, it's important to understand this, this basis. There's two aspects of the nervous system, and you're probably familiar with this. There's the sympathetic and the parasympathetic, two different states of activation. And the way to describe the sympathetic, most athletes know it, but once you get up and you're moving, um, the more you increase your exercise, the more you activate the sympathetic nervous system. Sometimes it's been called the fight or flight response. For example, if someone were to just go, surprise you around a corner and go, boo, your heart rate goes up, you obviously jump, um, your muscles are ready to run or fight or something, that's the activation of the sympathetic nervous system. Right. Now there's a flip side of that, it's called the parasympathetic nervous system. And that's when you come home after a long day at work and you're tired, you sit down on your couch, you relax, you have a cup of, you have a, I was going to say a cup of coffee, but you have a, like you might have a, like a fine wine and just kick back, relax, and your heart rate slows down, digestion starts to increase, um, you know, everything, just blood pressure goes down, and you kind of go, ah, oh, now you've activated the parasympathetic nervous system. So it's important, this is important because atrial fibrillation can be triggered by either. This is what's important. You can have sympathetic activation, and you can have parasympathetic activation. And a lot of folks don't realize this. They think that all activation or all triggers are sympathetic. That's not true. But it's important to understand that as this progresses, you start, you sometimes will get more parasympathetic activation because I, I experienced both. So the sympathetic activation would be like in the middle of a bike race, but the parasympathetic would be when you're sitting in your chair and relaxing and you take a deep breath and you let it out slowly. And that could be a trigger? Uh-huh. In fact, I'd wake up at AFib in the morning. Uh, yeah, it was like, that, that would wake me up, actually. The AFib would wake me up in the morning. I was sleeping. So it was not an activation of sympathetic nervous system. It was actually parasympathetic. But let me explain. For example, you know, I, go to, I would go to the track. When I, when I, once I identified the AFib, I'd go to the track to do the track race go on Tuesday and Thursday nights at the velodrome, at the OTC velodrome. And so my, my rule of thumb was I'd warm up very, very slowly. 
So I go out there and I start my warm up and I go out and I'd ride at about 80 beats per minute and I'd do maybe 10 minutes and then 10 minutes at 100 beats per minute. And then I'd go a couple efforts, maybe to 110, 120. And here's what would happen. I might hit 120 and I'd start to back off and start my recovery. And my heart rate goes from 120 to 180. I literally would get off the track, get off the bike and go home because I knew what would happen next. If I pushed it, it gets get worse. And I didn't want to push it. Um, and I can explain more why that's important not to push AFib because it just makes it worse. On the other hand, I would start warming up at 120, come back down, heart rate's fine, and do 180, 190, whatever, no problem. I do the bike race and no problem. And two days later, I hit 120 and I shoot to 180 and I go home. So I wouldn't even know from day to day. My, I make my warrants very slow and very deliberate. And I studied my heart rate and I found that if it would stay low, it would act normal and I felt good, I was having a good day, no problem. But if I had a day when it would just shoot off the clock and just go like 181 to 200, I knew I just had to shut it down because I wouldn't be able to fix it. Once it started AFib, the day was over. I'm done. So once it started, it was it was there. Yeah, it, but you were do. not able to determine a, you know, you had a stressful morning, and that's what led to the AFib showing up that evening. You just it just sometimes was there, sometimes wasn't. Correct. And when it wasn't there, I was totally normal. I could race full effort, no problem, go to my max, do incredible workouts, I mean, do breakaways and attacks and go off the front. I was fine. And then other days, I couldn't even do a half decent warm up and I, I just shut it down and go home. So let me talk about, so that's, so you have to understand there's, so the, there's a sympathetic activation and that's what I recognized first was I did my warm ups very slowly and very deliberately so I could see if I was gonna be okay. But typically, things that activate the central nervous system on the sympathetic side tend to be activators or triggers. For example, high stress, changes in temperature, whether cold or hot, situations when you're dehydrated, for example, you know, or you've, you're overworked or you're just overstressed or just haven't gotten a good night's sleep or a poor recovery or you overexerted yourself the day before and things like heat, cold, vibration can trigger an attack. You mentioned earlier, we're talking about coffee. Caffeine is a stimulant. Caffeine can do it. Sugar can do it. Alcohol can do it. They're all triggers. And also low blood sugar could be a trigger as well, too. These are all things that will activate the sympathetic nervous system and can be triggers to actually start the AFib process. I know if we get Victor on here, he told the story how at Nationals, he went into an episode of AFib that lasted for several days. Couldn't, couldn't get to stop. So yeah. it's important to understand that anything that's essentially considered stressful could be considered activating or a trigger for atrial fibrillation. And for each individual, it's going to be different. Some people, coffee will have no effect whatsoever, whereas alcohol might be a big, a huge trigger. And you don't know. That's the thing is to figure out if you develop an episode of AFib, go back and ask the question, okay, what, what's different today? You know, was it stress at the job? Did I have a fight with my wife? Is it financial stress? Is it, you know, physical stress? Did I just not sleep well last night? Is it a couple of days after a really hard workout? Those are the kind of questions you have to ask to identify what are my triggers? What caused this? And what you said earlier about the triggers being the same for the short term and the long term, the more often AFib shows up, the more likely it is to show up. So it's progressive. Let me explain it this way. This makes the most sense. Okay. So let's say there's a, you, you go out for a run up in the hills and you notice that um, as you're going down this walk, this path, that's really well trodden and really clearly defined. You might see off to the side, like a lesser known path, maybe a deer trail or something like that. And it's not used very much, right? But if more people start using the deer trail, it'll become more worn down and more well-trodden, I guess would be the term you use, and more visible. The same happens with electrical signals in, in the heart. 
Normally, it goes right to left, right to left, every beat, 60 times or whatever a, a minute. If you get a beat going the opposite direction, the more you have beats going the wrong direction, the more you essentially make a, a, a beaten path in the wrong direction. So essentially, the term we use in, in electrophysiology is AFib begets AFib. The more you have it, the worse it gets. That's a very simple principle within AFib, whether you're elderly or whether you're an athlete, AFib begets AFib. All right. So the importance of figuring out what causes it or catching it early so that you can stop is important, not just for the day, but for the rest of your life. Indeed. You don't want to engage it in a high level because that just makes it more likely to come back. Yeah. And, and this is, um, let me put out those words of wisdom I call the pearls. One of the points of this podcast, we call it Wise Athletes. I, I made some big errors. When I first developed the AFib back in 2004, I kind of ignored it. I just thought, oh, it wasn't in shape. I got to push through it. And so I would literally race while in AFib, pushing my body to extremes while it's still in AFib, trying to, you know, trying to bridge up to a breakaway or trying to stay in the breakaway or trying to get away from a group kind of stuff, not realizing that was creating more damage. That's why once I, I knew it was AFib and what the problem was, when I went into an AFib episode, I get off the bike and I went home. So I wasn't going to push it. I wasn't going to reinforce the AFib. Go home, rest. I'm not going to race that day. I might take a couple of days off for recovery. So that's being wise. That's being smart about not allowing it to progress. People might hear this and think, oh, well, you were foolish to push through that. But, you know, I mean, I think that that's, that's who we are. I mean, I, I'll tell you, as I mentioned to you earlier, I had one of these episodes that I think was from caffeine five or six years ago. I didn't drop out of the race. I kept going. I mean, I I kept, as I'd get close to passing out from my heart not pumping very well, I'd slow down a little bit until I caught my breath and then I'd go hard again. And, you know, I got seventh place in the, in the Boulder Roubaix. <laughs> so I, I totally understand why you'd keep pushing through it. You know, fortunately for me, uh, it didn't come back. Although I'll tell you, I, I didn't have caffeine before a race anymore. Yeah, and I think when I developed the AFib, it was 2004, but I remember I was out in Salt Lake City visiting a friend of mine, and I went to climb into the ski areas. I wasn't feeling right. Something, didn't, something felt, felt off. So I looked at my heart rate monitor, and it was showing 200 beats per minute. Now, of course, the first thing I thought was, something's wrong with the heart rate monitor. <laughs> and I remember I, I stopped at a parking lot, and I looked at the, I'm looking around for, for power lines, thinking to myself, I must have some power line interference because, you know, uh, it's affecting my heart rate. But the funny thing is that my heart rate was actually going 200 beats per minute. And I'm a cardiologist. I mean, I know these things. Something wasn't right, but I thought, ah, oh, whatever, no big deal. It's, it's just my heart rate monitor's off. And I think that's the key right there. When your body, when you don't feel right, when something feels off, pay attention to it. I wasn't, it sounds really stupid. And I think it's, 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 it is dumb not to pay attention when your body is telling you something. Listen to your body. It yeah. knows well. When you feel right, something's off. It might be, you want to go back and identify what, if you're having a bad race, for example, what did I do wrong? How can I make it better? This is part of the athletes trying to be better type thing, but it's also part of us being kind of stupid and not paying attention to the fact that something is wrong and let's figure out what it is. Had I paid attention back then and realized, oh, I got a cardiac problem, I may not have, I may not have had the problems I've had since then. But these were early symptoms way back when. So it's easy to understand why you might push through or why I push through or why anybody would push through, but that's the wrong thing to do. So other people should learn from our mistake. 
if you're competitive athletes, you will push your body to extremes to win a race. You will push your body to extremes to stay with the breakaway or to catch the breakaway. That's part of the competitive nature of our, of our sport. The downside is that there could be risk involved with that. And if you're being a wise athlete, you have to, you, you can't know it on the t- at the time, whether it's, am I having a cardiovascular event or am I just not in good shape and I have to push through the, the lack of shape? You see, right. those are the kind of things, that's where you draw the line. It's like, you know, and there are days in bike races where it's like, you know, if the sprint is just absolutely insane and everyone's going nuts, I just say, hey, I like my skin. I'm not going to contest the sprint. And I back out of the sprint. Other times, I'm going as hard as I can. I know if I go just a little bit harder, I can win this race and I'll do it just to win the race. The question is, was that wise? Good question. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening in to part one of our discussion with Dr. Glenn Winkle about his personal experience with AFib. Be sure to listen to part two to get his entire story and hear more details about triggers of AFib how he manages his AFib symptoms, and what he would do differently if he had a do-over. If you head over to wiseathletes.com, you can send us a question to address on our podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you are on social media and enjoyed this episode, please post about it. That would be a great help. Thanks again.